Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, we're talking trades and transactions with a man who's been there and done that. But first, Darlene. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Thanks so much, Darlene. Welcome to another rendition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. My name is Aaron Berlin, and as always, I am joined alongside by the one and only. His name is Otto Strong. Otto, how's it going, my man? I'm doing well, but uh, a lot going on this week. And, And here's the big question, the burning question. Do I take Kansas over USC? That's the what's the so 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 here's the thing. I am a diehard Kansas basketball fan. It is the one sport that I honestly and truly am a fan of now. Love baseball. Wouldn't say I'm a Royals fan, but I love watching Kansas basketball. And I cannot tell you the amount of times, Otto, that I have almost thrown my remote at the TV this year watching this team. And it's not, you know, and here's the thing. And, and I've thought long and hard about this. When you're most frustrated with a basketball team that ends up being a three seed in the NCAA tournament and you're consistently sitting there saying, man, this team is garbage, it's pretty good, right? Like, it, like it's okay to be frustrated because that's how spoiled I am as a basketball fan. It, it, it is. And one of the, I mean, the other thing I was going to ask or, or slash tell you is that I see you got that couch back there. And we could turn this into a therapy session. You know, I got my notepad, I got my pen. You could just sprawl it on the couch and I'll just, I'll just, you know, take notes and like, mm, you know, do that doctorly thing. But yeah, I, 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 I can just tell you about every time that David McCormick took a 15 footer and I'm sitting there like, why? why? You need to just dunk the basketball. Like those little spin arounds are okay. But every time you're out there on the elbow taking a 15 footer, don't do it, man. It's cringeworthy. How's, so, so how's your bracket looking? I mean, I, I, are, you, are you done with it? Where are you in the process? So I actually, because I, I knew we were going to talk about this before we recorded this, I filled out my first official bracket this year. Traditionally, I do one, one that always has Kansas winning the national championship. That is notoriously done. The other is one that I think is going to happen. And another one is just like wild upsets that I would love to see. So I officially did my first one this year. And Otto, I, I can tell you, I did not have Kansas beating USC. Mm. I did not have Kansas beating USC. And that pained me. But I feel pretty good about this. My champion's going to surprise you. And this is going to make people from Chicago and the state of Illinois really happy. But I went with Brad Underwood getting his first national championship as a head coach of the University of Illinois. And I believe it'd be the first time that Illinois has gone back to the championship since... What was it? Was Bruce Weber their head coach when they went on that big run right before so. 
Um, I think it was like 17 or 18 years ago. Jameer Nelson was on St. Joe's at that time because those two teams were like the run of two of the best teams in college basketball at that time. It, it has it has been a minute, as the kids say, but uh, I'm going with Gonzaga. I just, I mean, chalk fine, but you know, I just feel like they just got the firepower, and I just think it's their time. If that makes any sense. Would it surprise you that that would be the first undefeated college basketball team since the '76 Hoosiers? Uh, uh, I mean, say, yeah, the, yes, uh, maybe yes the no. better question is: Does that say more about the parity level of college basketball, or the fact that maybe college basketball hasn't been as dominant or as fun over the last few decades? Well, you kind of wonder. You know, if, if you know, with with the one and done, I think it's it's understandable that there wouldn't be a team that, that could run the table like that. I feel like if you had um, guys staying into their you know <laughs> into their sophomore year, but certainly into their junior, I feel like you could start to build that kind of a, a dynasty, that kind of a thing. But I am in no means trying to pine for those days, uh, great as they were. I mean, to go back to Patrick Ewing, Georgetown, and all that stuff. But I don't know. I mean, it feels like. It feels like this is certainly a, it's, it's it's exciting. I mean, this this year's been. I mean, this, maybe we just throw out this year with with COVID and everything. But uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not hating on the fact that there hasn't been an undefeated team. I mean, I think it was uh, Memphis or Derrick Rose's year. I mean, they lost they lost the title game. They would have done it. So, by the way, do you know who they lost the title game to? Hmm. Come on, man. I chances it, it, it always comes full circle. It always comes full circle. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like so, so so full disclosure, we're doing this in the morning, and I'm like, my I haven't had my my you know like my morning, but I'm like, what would Aaron say? Like so, that was that was one of the most memorable moments I have as a fan because I was watching that basketball game in the basement of my parents' home. It was the year before I went to college and I was going to KU. Yeah. And you, you know, they're down, they're down nine points with two minutes left to go. And you're like, this is a traditional KU game, right? Like make it to the national championship and either you can't hit your free throws like you did against, like you couldn't against Syracuse in 2003 and you couldn't do them in 2008. And then all of a sudden Mario Traumers, Sharon Collins, yeah. um, Darrell Arthur hits a big turnaround jumper and you're like, Oh my God, what's going on. But that is a game that will always live in my heart. Hakeem Warwick is also someone that I have major disdain for and the way that he played in 2003. But that's another story for another day, Otto. But I do think this NCAA tournament's going to be one of the wildest that we've seen in a long time because we haven't gotten to see a lot of these mid-major teams this year on national television. So I think the mid-majors are going to give us more of a surprise this year than we've seen in years past. Yeah. I'm also wondering how the how the crowd, uh, you know, the crowd on the, the, the fact that there really won't be any. But but to answer, you know, go back to mid major. Um, I'm actually taking North Texas. Um, North Texas. Uh, so so I'm gonna I'm doing mean I'm playing me and Green. I'm playing a little bit of the Homer card, but I'm also playing like you know they 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 can ball. And um, so we're so I'm gonna see what uh, I'm gonna see so, what, see what they're about. So that's a four thirteen game yeah, against except, Purdue. Exactly. So there's, so there's a, it's, it's one of those, you know, I mean, I think I feel like a couple of years ago it was the, the 11 seed was the, was the kind of the trend and now it's, now it's the 13. So I'm like, why not? Why I, well, not? I will say this. I had a hard time picking that game because I have not watched any Purdue basketball this year and I have not watched any North Texas basketball this year. So I was like, that one's a throw up. I knew the big 10 was good, but I, I had no idea. And then Villanova is in an interesting situation on the other side of the bracket because they're without one of their best players. So yeah. It's interesting. But you know what else is interesting right now? What's going on in the NBA and the trade deadlines coming up? You want to talk some hoops? Let's do it.
Okay, everybody. As promised, it is time to bring in ESPN insider Bobby Marks. Bobby, how are you doing? I'm good, guys. How are you? All right. So uh, we are now at that point. I'm still adjusting to this new schedule, you know, and so and so now we're now at a point where we're heading into the trade deadline. My my brain is still scrambled from from all this. Uh, what what are the biggest stories you're looking at heading into the trade deadline? Yeah, it's funny. We're actually in uh, early February, technically, right? That's kind of how this uh, the schedule is with uh, with kind of behind, I guess, a month here. But yeah, it, I mean, the, the trade deadline this year is interesting just because. I think the play-in tournament has kind of stalled things as far as there's probably less sellers out there. When you look at teams that the Chicago's of the world that are trying to fight in for a play-in spot are probably less, um, you know, less likely to make a, make a trade because, you know, the goal is to try to get into the playoffs here. Um, I think where the league is right now, um, there are teams like, you know, the Clippers and the Lakers and the Bucks, who are, you know, certainly buyers, but are so restricted from the, from the hard cap to take on money. Um, half the league has already traded out first round picks in future years. So we're in a little bit of a, of a stalled market. Certainly there's going to be the storylines in Houston. Um, they had lost 15 games in a row going into Tuesday. So you're looking at uh, Victor Oladipo, PJ Tucker, players like that. Um, you are going to look at the storylines with the, with Andre Drummond in Cleveland, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge in San Antonio. Uh, some of the bigger contracts, you know, especially with Aldridge and, and Drummond, um, are hard to move. Um, you know, the, uh, Drummond hasn't played in, in a, over a month. Uh, Aldridge is, is in the same situation, but a couple weeks here. Um, but those guys are, they would bring value, but when you have a $28 million contract in Andre Drummond, it's, it's hard to move, you know, and, and take back 22, $23 million right now. Um, so those are kind of the, I guess the, the storylines and, and who knows what happens in Toronto. I think Toronto is interesting because they had been playing pretty good basketball before COVID hit them. Um, and now they're on this like tailspin here. And, um, you know, Kyle, I think Kyle Lowry's name is going to be talked about leading up until the trade deadline just because he has this, um, you know, this $30 million expiring contract here. There's always this myth that teams, players that are on expiring, you always have to trade them if you're not in contention because you have to get back value. And I think, I think it's going to be Kyle Lowry's call if he wants to, uh, you know, uh, end his, um, you know, time in Toronto and go on a, on a playoff team because, when this team Toronto team is healthy, they're probably a tier two team with like the heat in the, in the, in the Celtics, but I think time is running out on them. So uh, we've got nine days to the deadline. The buyout market is right after. Um, so there will be storylines here, but we are kind of at a little bit of at a, at a stalled market. And Bobby, before we talk about Andre Drummond, because I think he's going to be a big storyline with what happens if the Lakers do acquire him and they try and get some depth at that five position. Let's talk about this from a GM perspective, because I think you brought up a really interesting point is, you know, that there's no harder decision for a GM than to take an honest look at his team and say, is this a playoff caliber team? Do we have what it takes to get into the playoffs? For those teams that are battling to be in that playoff spot right now, and most notably that play in tournament, at what point do you have to sit back and take an honest look at your team and say, one, is this playing tournament worth it for the future of our team? And two, you know, how do you come to that decision? 
Yeah, I think it's it's based on how your roster is constructed. I think it's worth it if you are a team like New York um, and you have R.J. Barrett and you have some of your younger players, um, you know, certainly how Julius is playing. Uh, I always say it's important to play meaningful games. Um, I guess it's going to be April and May, um, and it can lead to a lot of good things. We saw it in Brooklyn uh, the last couple of years, especially that first year when D'Angelo Russell was there, where kind of it gave them some type of foundation, um, although you might lose in that playing game or maybe even lose in that first round. I, I do think it's important. I think some teams are a little bit different. Maybe some teams when you are, I guess, stuck on that treadmill of mediocrity, um, where maybe it's better off getting into the lottery and getting a pick, a, a better uh, draft pick. Um, Chicago, I think it's important. You have a new coach in Billy Donovan. Um, Zach Levine's going to be going into an expiring contract. Uh, we don't know what his future is going to hold. Um, you see them holding on to players like Thaddeus Young and Tomas Sadaransky. So I, I do think I do think there is a priority for teams to get into um, you know get into the playing game. Same in Memphis. You know, Memphis is a good to, uh, good example also. Um, but then on the other end, you know, like a team like Golden State, right? Does Golden does it make it does it make sense for Golden State as a play-in type team? Um, where you have veterans like Thompson and uh, not Tom, um, Steph Curry and Draymond, Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, um, players like that. But they would be a dangerous team if they do get in there. Um, but it is a hard balancing act. Like Cleveland's an interesting example because I, I think if, if they had kept Andre Drummond playing, they might have been competing for a play-in tournament. But they made a decision to park Drummond, to focus on Jared Allen at center, the combination of Allen and, and Drummond, the, I guess the, the Twin Towers was a disaster. Um, and they've, they've kind of really hit the skids here. Um, so we'll see if they can bring back some type of, type of value here. But um, it's not an, it is not an easy decision because you have a coach that wants to win. Um, and then when you are taking away players, if it's Drummond, um, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge is a little bit of a different situation. Certainly, you know, Blake, what happened in, Bla in Detroit with Blake Griffin, um, that is kind of where everybody has to be aligned uh, together. I want to go back to a couple of things you said, Bobby. First off, I want to give you props for treadmill of mediocrity. I, I love that. That is a great line. <laughs> I, think it's, I think the line is a lot of fun. I'm going to use it some other time down the road. But you also mentioned, I'm, I'm someone who grew up a Knicks fan and emphasis on grew up as in Perhaps not now, but I still like to see the Knicks do well. You also mentioned the other New York team, which we, you know, we used to call the other New York team, but now it's, you know, the New York team, really, Brooklyn. So what can they do at center? They obviously need some depth there. Where, where can they go? Yeah, it's, you know, they've, uh, they've gotten the small ball lineup. Um, you know, you, we've seen sometimes Jeff Green at center. Uh, certainly DeAndre has played center. Nick Claxton, who they drafted in the second round a, a year ago, has given him some really good minutes at backup, um, the, their, their biggest threat will probably be Philadelphia. Um, so do you go out and try to make a trade for a player like JaVale McGee, um, who you can, you can get because you have that uh, Spencer Dinwiddie disabled player exception that uh, McGee's contract would fit in. A guy like Ken Birch, who's in Orlando. There are options out there from a center position. We'll see what happens with Blake. I think Blake's, Blake's interesting because everybody's been touting him as this small ball center, right? I don't know if, if you've watched Pistons games this year, but 
Blake Griffin was anything but a small ball center. I mean, he was a stretch. It was a, an average to below average stretch four. Um, so maybe things have changed in a, in a change of scenery. Maybe we do see Blake at, at small ball, um, small ball five here. Um, the, I, I mentioned it last week. I think the one thing you have to be careful with, and I saw this in, in when I was in Brooklyn in that 13-14 season, when you have too many mouths to feed. And what I mean is mm-hmm. that when you have too deep of a roster and you go 12 to 13 and everybody thinks they should be playing, you know, if you go out and get a PJ Tucker and you go out and get an Andre Drummond, let's say, yeah, it's great. You know, it's great for us to talk about on paper. You look good. But when you get to the playoffs, we know you're only going to go nine deep. And then what happens to your dynamics of your locker room? So I think you do have to be a little bit careful that you almost go too deep. Um, you've got Bruce Brown coming off the bench. You've got uh, Landry Shamit coming off the bench. Uh, Luala Cabaret as far as your, your shooters. What happens if J.J. Redick becomes available? You know, like those are the, the type of decisions that they're great decisions for Sean Marks, their, their GM, to figure out here. But I think you probably could use another center um, just as an insurance policy because it's either going to be probably, um, you know, you might get a, a Miami in the second round. You might get a Philadelphia in an Eastern Conference Finals. You could get A.D. Um, playing center in the um, – in, a, in an NBA finals here. Um, so those are kind of like the options as far as for, for what uh, Brooklyn has done. I mean, a lot, they've, they basically have done most of their homework already. Um, it's just kind of, as I always say, it's, it's those trimming around the edges. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. We keep going back to this, this center market, right? And it's, it's weird because when you think about the NBA, a lot of people would say it's a pace and space game that centers are obsolete, but they've become an integral part, especially on the defensive end of the floor and playoff basketball. The, the Lakers are a team that without their, their five, you know, Anthony Davis and the injuries that he's had this year, that they've missed some of that depth at the center position on Andre Drummond's going to be available, but it kind of sounds like Cleveland is expecting something back in return. Yeah, I don't see them going getting going out and acquiring Andre Drummond when it comes to a trade standpoint. Um, just to make the num the numbers work, when you you basically have to send out twenty two, twenty three million dollars in salary to get a player like that, and then we talk about the hard cap for them. They're one point five million dollars below the hard cap, so the math doesn't really work. I mean, you're basically you know Kyle Kuzma. It can't be traded because he's got this poison pill restriction from this rookie extension. And then you're really looking at, um, you're looking at, you know, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Montrez Harrell. And I don't see those players um, fitting in need if you are Cleveland. Drummond is going to be an, a buyout option if he gets there for, uh, for the Lakers. That's the, that's the biggest thing. Even, you know, there's a, there's this rule where you can't reacquire a player you traded. Even let's say JaVale McGee gets bought out by Cleveland. So the Lakers can't go back out and, and sign him um, in, uh, in, uh, as a backup, as a backup five, your options are going to be, you know, limited from, from that standpoint, you look at, you go down their roster from a trade standpoint, you're, re- you're looking at guys like Wes Matthews, um, you know, Jared Dudley, Alfonso McKinney, I even mentioned, you know, going out and getting PJ Tucker and PJ's making 7.9 million and it's hard to kind of cobble together a, a, a trade um, to even make that work. It's the hard cap. We're seeing it with the Clippers. We're seeing it with Milwaukee. We're seeing it with, um, you know, certainly the Lakers is, you know, it was triggered because you went out and signed Montrez Harrell and the same with the Clippers with Serge Ibaka. When you go out and get these, 
better players and you exceed a certain number, that's kind of the, the penalty that you're faced with. Bobby, there are two guys who, who I, my days of, of uh, working with the NBA more closely, I, I just love these guys, George Hill and Trevor Ariza. Do you see a home for, for yeah. those guys? Do you see a home for those guys and how they may fit into the, to the picture? It's funny. If you go back and look at Sam Presti, the, the head of basketball operations, um, uh, track history um, with buyouts, uh, more towards Trevor Ariza, because Trevor has been, I call it the witness protection program, right? <laughs> we haven't seen Trevor since I think last March. Um, you know, he, did, he, he, um, he didn't play in the bubble because of, you know, certainly personal reasons, and he hasn't been in Oklahoma City. There's been two buyouts Sam has done in, since 2009, Joe Smith and um, Alex Sabrinas. And I do not, I, it's hard for me to think that, um, that Sam will do a buyout with Ariza. We, you know, you never know. Maybe things change here. Um, George uh, Hill is under on a great contract. He's got, you know, $9.6 million. I know he's been hurt and he's uh, recovering from that, from that injury. And he's got a partially guaranteed contract. For, for next year. If I, was, if I was a team like the Clippers, let's say, George Hill would have a lot of interest to me as far as a guy that can play both guard positions. Um, I think he can play your primary point guard position. But here's, the, here's the, the kind of the Rubik's Cube to this whole. Who, you get, who do you want to give up? You, if you, I always say, if you want to be a buyer, you're going to be a seller. Is it Lou Williams? Right now, are you going to want to sacrifice a guy like Lou Williams? Possibly another team with the hard cap. You're going to have to add some money to make a deal. But the Clippers have they've got 10 second round picks. They've got that Lou Williams contract. I think you're going to have to get a. I think the Clippers um, are going to have a, you know, a decision to make in the next nine days to figure out, is this roster good enough? And I'm not saying Kawhi and. Uh, Paul George, you're kind of your main guys, but your back end guys, your Lou Williams of the world, your Patrick Beverly's, your guy, the I guess the old the old regime, the guys that were there before um, Kawhi and and, and uh, PG got there. Is that is this roster good enough to compete with the Lakers and the Jazz and the Phoenix and the Phoenix Suns? Um, it's it's going to be it. That's going to be a hard question. And as I said. If it's not, then the, I guess the, the, the casualty would be a guy like Lou Williams. You know, Bobby, one of the things that I hear a lot in the city that I live in is if the Magic were healthy, they would be <laughs> maybe a five, six, or seven team. And Orlando fans, for whatever reason, they love this roster, and rightfully so. You know, Nick Vucevic has really come on as a center. Aaron Gordon, I think people still hope that there's more of a ceiling left in him. Have you heard anything on what the Magic might do with their roster heading into the trade deadline? Because to me, this looks like a team that's that's destined to, you know, if they're healthy, make the playoffs, but they're never going to make a run in the playoffs. So, so what do they have to do from a roster standpoint if they're going to get better? Yeah, they've kind of always been that team that's hung around that six to eight range. Um, you know, probably, uh, you know, they would probably be in that same situation if, uh, you had a healthy Markel Fultz, if, you know, Jonathan Isaac, um, we forget about those two players. I mean, this roster has been decimated. I mean, really, I mean, you're starting to get, yeah, you, know, you look at the other night, you get Vuk and, and, uh, and Terrence Ross basically scored, gave you like 70 of your, like, you know, 102 points. And where are you getting contributions from? It's, it's, it's offensively starved. 
but you have a decision to make now, right? Evan Fournier is on an expiring contract. He's going to be a free agent. Aaron Gordon is going to be, um, uh, he's got a year left on his contract. Uh, uh, Vucevic has got, a, you know, he's got, uh, I think, two years left after this year. I, I would, and he's on a really good contract. Um, it's, it's, you would love to see this team healthy. You would love to bring back this, this group healthy. Um, I don't know where, you know, if, if you do bring it back, are you still kind of, I still think they're in that tier three level. Um, as you follow this team, it's hard when you tear it down because you never know how, how long it's going to take to build it back up. Um, and they were a playoff star for so long. If I was in Orlando, I think I would certainly put out feelers for Fournier um, because I, I think the cost is going to be a little bit too high um, for him considering where you are salary-wise. I think the guy probably on your team that has the most value is probably Terrence Ross um, just because he's got, he's got you, know, you know, a couple years left on his contract. Teams love shooting off the bench. I think you see it in Utah with Jordan Clarkson, a guy that can kind of be that sixth man and can kind of give you – 15 to 17 points before he kind of even goes on um, walks on the, on the court here. Um, but as I always say, it's, you know, although you want to kind of be a seller, it it takes two to tango. Yeah. And if there's not a deal out there for Aaron Gordon, that makes sense for you. Um, then you wait, then you wait into the off season or you wait into the, into the next season and you get your guys back healthy. And then you kind of evaluate, you know, where this roster is. I think the, the, the one disappointing for them is kind of where Mo Bamba is. And a lot of it's kind of COVID related, getting him back into shape, getting him on the court. I'm interested to watch him play the next 35, 40 games to see if kind of, you know, where, what direction, you know, he goes in because when, when you're drafting in that top six and that top seven, and you kind of miss for whatever reason, those, those type of things set you back there. And Bobby, how hard does that make, you know, Jeff Weltman's decision when you're evaluating this roster, you know, I, I always like to get into the minds of a GM and, and, you know, I worked in baseball for a long time. And if you sit there and hope that a player is going to develop, it makes it, <laughs> it makes your job that much more difficult. But when you're thinking about injuries and how you move forward, is this the hardest roster for a GM to honestly evaluate? Yeah, I think this is the hardest year for GMs to evaluate their own roster. Um, COVID um, daily testing, um, basically these guys are entrapped in their room on the road. No, there's so much restrictions, limited home crowd, similar to the bubble. Um, probably not the healthiest of environments to be playing, um, you know, basketball. Um, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to evaluate. It's hard to, uh, critique. Yeah. I mean, you kind of know what you have in Brooklyn and I think you have an idea what you have in Philadelphia, but I don't know what, I don't know what Orlando has really because of the Fultz injury, the Isaac injury. How does Isaac and Gordon work together with, uh, with Vucevic, you know, the three, the three bigs here. Um, it's, you know, they had been, as I say, playoff starts for so long. And I wrote about it after they lost to Milwaukee last year in the first round. And it's like, everyone wants to say, Oh, they've been to the first round and they've lost two years in a row or, um, you know, they lost to Toronto the year before let's tear it down. Right. Let's like, let's just rebuild again. It's like, God, I mean, like you realize how hard that is to do. Um, yeah, I was talking to a team last week who's uh, in the lottery heading to the lottery. And it's like, I said to him, like, you get to that feeling, right? Like when 
you want to just wave that white flag and make a trade because it can maybe get you five or six wins, you know, now for the rest of the year here. But and you have to have that. You have to have so much patience as far as what to do with that roster. Um, so I, I'm not in that position where you are you're willing to tear it down because it's almost like you're, we are punting as far as from an evaluation standpoint for this, for this year. All, all good points, Bobby. I got a question. Uh, I'm going to swing it to the Celtics. So um, they've got the 28.5 million in trade exception has to be spent for the start of next season. Uh, is there anybody out there that makes sense for uh, Danny age to, to, to take a look at? Yeah, that's that's the burning question, Boston, right? Everybody wants them to use that big trade exception um, from that Gordon Hayward trade. The interesting thing with that is that the league has not set a deadline as far as when that is going to expire. It's going to be sometime in the offseason, maybe in August, maybe in um, in September. Um, but so there's there's still not a deadline. Um, it is. I, I always say it's not a um, use it or lose it type scenario. And I don't think Celtics fans want to hear that, right? <laughs> they don't want to say, Hey, we can wait into the off season. And I'm sure that's probably what the spin in Boston will be here. I would not use it on LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, I probably wouldn't even use it on JJ Redick. Um, would I use it on PJ Tucker? I'd be interested in, on, uh, you know, with, with PJ Tucker. Um, I don't think I would trade a few, uh, a first round pick to get PJ Tucker. I would probably trade multiple twos to, to get him in there. Um, when you are looking at that exception, you are 19 and change below the hard cap. So it's not like you can use the full amount um, and stay below that. It comes with a sacrifice as far as if you, you know, luxury tax, probably one of your, um, one of your two players. The guy that I'd be interested in, I'm probably going to butcher his spelling, his pronunciation right now, right now is Nemanja Bijalika in Sacramento, who's kind of been in and out of the rotation, but can give you a stretch four, has started, uh, can come off the bench and, and give you some minutes. And I don't think the, I don't think the cost is going to be very high here, and it can, and it'll still stay under the luxury tax. Um, so I, I'm thinking more of those kind of singles and doubles type trade instead of going out and using $20 million. Hey, you use 7 million. Now you're still going to have 21 in the off season. And the best part is the hard cap restriction comes off. Once we flip that calendar year going into 21, 22. So your options are a little bit more, a little bit more open. Bobby, you mentioned Houston. They've lost 15 straight basketball games. They've tried to make an extension. It was kind of, you know, it, it was an expected effort to Victor Oladipo turned it down. What happens with them heading, heading into the deadline? You know, it's funny you watch Houston and I know the, I guess Christian Wood's going to be back here. And it's like, you look at their calendar or their schedule and like, where are they going to find a win? Like, I, I mean, maybe Minnesota coming up here and um, Old Depot expiring contract, $21.5 million. The return value on Victor Old Depot is probably a future first round pick and it's probably lottery protected. You are not going to get a haul for Victor. Can you move him to a team like, Miami and just take back expiring contracts and maybe a, um, a future two, a couple future twos. That's, that's a challenge um, in itself. If I am a team like New York, I he doesn't really have much interest for me because I can go out and sign him in the off season um, because I have cap space, but Houston, yeah, Houston's going to have a decision to make when it comes to, I think they have to have realistic expectations as far as what the return value is on guys like Tucker and guys like old, old depot. Bobby, we appreciate your uh, 
Appreciate your time. Appreciate your insights. Is there any any other uh, point that you wanted to make, or anything we didn't get to that would that would have been like, hey, man, I want to talk about this? Any- <laughs> well, you know what? We have uh, Kevin Pelton, who you know is at ESPN, and I have this uh, next article up that we put up today on ESPN.com, and we kind of look at their options heading into the trade deadline in the off season. And I know it's not going to make Knicks fans happy, but I am more of the conservative approach here, where. I, I say, you know, hey, you've got $15 million in cap space. Um, it, it's okay to take back a bad contract, and maybe you can keep on building back your draft, as, draft assets. Knicks are a great story, I, they're in the, but they're in that tier three behind the Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly tier one, Miami, Boston tier two. Um, but they are building something there, and they will get to a point in the road Every great team will, or every good team who wants to be great, where they will need to make a decision where, when are we going to sacrifice our draft picks or our young player like R.J. Barrett when one of these disgruntled all-stars eventually become available? The good thing is there's nobody disgruntled right now, we think. Um, But there will be a time probably this offseason or even next year where, um, you know, as I say, it's kind of like baking a cake, right? You want to take that cake out of the oven when it's undercooked or when it's right, you know, when it's kind of ready to eat. Um, and that's a decision, but it's a good decision to make based on where they've been in the past. And, and Tibbs has done, I think Tibbs has done a great job and Leon Rose has done a great job kind of putting the right pieces together. And they have, you know, they've got a ton of flexibility kind of going forward. Mm. Well, man. Uh, hey, well, once again, everybody, uh, ESPN uh, front office insider, Bobby Marks, good, appreciate the time, appreciate the insights and looking forward to having the next conversation with you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That was dope. Special thanks to Bobby Marks for taking time out of his day to join us. And Otto, you, along with every Knicks fan, is just telling you guys to be patient. Are you OK yeah. with that? Are you fine with that? Yeah, my life's aspiration is to be your tier three. Especially as a Knicks fan, a tier three team as a Knicks fan. Uh, anyway, man, it is always a great show talking NBA hoops. You know, I hope you have a great weekend watching the NCAA tournament. I feel sorry that your cadets are not in it. Army, you know, pulling for him in the CBI. All right. And it's time to wrap things up for this week. Special thanks to our guest, Bobby Marks from ESPN. He always brings the knowledge and the perspective. And thanks to our producer, Bruce Bernstein, and to our editor, Kristen Woolley. Please check out all of our other Pure Hoops Media shows. This week, Mike Wise has legendary NBA photographer Andy Bernstein with some classic stories about his four decades in the association. Full Court with Fisher and Kay features Ginny and Kara with their NCAA tournament preview. That's one that you're definitely going to want to check out. On Thursdays, Monica McNutt and King McClure are excited for their Thursday Buckets, Boards, and Blocks show with Monica's Georgetown Hoya seated number 12 in the East and Kings Baylor Bears seated number one in the South. That's going to be an interesting one because I don't think the Bears have been playing well. So I'm interested to get King's perspective on that. And as always, we wrap things up with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman as they have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. And I'm back with Otto next Wednesday with Catch and Shoot 2.0. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Our big hope for this year is that every person on the planet gets the COVID vaccine so we could finally put this pandemic to an end. We're not there yet, guys. We, we, we got to hang in there a little bit long, while longer. So wear your masks, social distance, wash your hands, and just be kind and considerate of everyone around you. 
Uh, don't forget the medical professionals and other people on the front line who are doing their best to keep us safe. So for my partner, Aaron Berlin, I'm Otto Strong. May all your brackets be intact when we meet again. See you next week. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 